0: matthew chapter twelve we looked last time at the uh... the fact that there's no neutral ground you had to be one side or the other and uh... jesus had healed a man who was demon-possessed and and the pharisees they showed where their hearts were at when they accused jesus of using satan's power to drive out satan's demons of course it makes no sense Whatsoever Satan would be fighting against himself. And, and Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And it doesn't make any sense, but the truth is we do it sometimes too, don't we? Jesus defeated the strong man because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Jesus came that we might have life have it to the full, and, and again, we're either with Him or we're not with Him. We're either for Him or against Him. There's no neutral ground. We also talked, I'll mention, uh, the, we talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, this thing we call the unpardonable sin, this rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit and, and attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. You know, is there a point where we can come to this point of no return that's what Jesus was talking about. Do we, Can we tell about anybody else? No. But it should be a warning to each one of us that we need to watch our hearts. Be careful of our hearts. And what's inside will come out. Today, I want to look at uh, the last section of the chapter 12 that we haven't looked at. Two things I want to talk about. One is seeking after signs. And the second is about filling the empty house. I'll grab some. Pages are blowing around. Let's look at uh, verse 38. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. They came to him, and again, this is right on the heels of what we had just seen about what they were saying about Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. So they, they say that, and now they come and they ask him for a sign from heaven. So what, what's going on? Do they, have they had a change of heart? Do they want to trust him now? Show us more so we'll be able to trust? I don't think so when we see what Jesus' response is. Again, we saw last time that he knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. He knew uh, what their thoughts were. And and really, kind of what it is here is they're, they're saying to Jesus, and it's a very dangerous thing as well, they're saying to Jesus, perform for us. Perform for us. That's a scary thing. When you and I, when any human being tries to tell Jesus to perform, tells Jesus what to do, and... And sometimes we kind of pray like that, and I've I've heard, you know, in different kinds of settings where, where, you know, if we confess it, if we say it in a certain way, then God has to do it. Some of you know what I'm talking about? Like, He has to perform because we've said it in a certain formula or a certain way, and we, you know, we said the words in a certain order or whatever. It's ridiculous. And it's a dangerous thing as well for us to even think that that could, you know, be something that could happen. Jesus had already healed a man. He had been healing people. Uh, You know, he'd been doing all kinds of miraculous works. So the question is, when is it enough? How much more would it take for them to reach this place where they would believe? How much more works does he have to do? This is the question that I think should be asked about this. You know, uh, this idea that it's got to be thrilling, it's got to be exciting, it's got to be sensational. If Jesus came and he emblazoned his name across the sky, would it make a difference? Would people then all of a sudden by you know, droves come and respond and become believers in Jesus Christ? Is that going to really make a difference? Someone said this, that more miracles would not change their minds. But I want to apply that to ourselves. How much do you and I need? What are we looking for? Are we looking for something that's just going to you know, grab us? Or has it already been given to us? I remember there was a, a, a gentleman that, that I was friend, very good friends with, involved in many years ago, and, and used to have him come to our church and speak at our church. But he kind of went down this path where he was looking after a sign, and a miracle, and and certain kinds of things. His whole whole goal, it kind of got down to this, his whole goal was that I want to see someone raised from the dead. Now, I believe that God can raise people from the dead, and and, and is he doing it in different places? Uh, Probably. I, I mean, I personally don't know of that situation. But I've heard reports about that. But his goal was he wanted to be there he wanted to see god raise some from, someone from the dead and and that was like what he wanted out of out of his relationship with god and i thought something's not right here something is kind of twisted and 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 you know at, at that point in time i had to say you know what it, we can't do this anymore we can't have you come here anymore i just i just can't do it it's it's too far and, you know, a couple of years after that, you know, I hear that him and his wife are now divorced. And, and, you know, maybe he should have been seeking after something within his own family, I wonder. The sign, the miraculous sign he should have looked at was how to keep his marriage together. What is Jesus' response? Look in verse 39. It says, He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He says, I'm not going to perform for you. I'm not going to do what you ask me to do. I'm going to do what I've came what I came to do, which, as you and I all know, was to give his life. But the first thing I want to point out to you, and Jonah, we all know the story of Jonah, and some of us think that it's just a story, but the first thing we see when Jesus talks about this is that he's confirming the reality, the historicity, or the historical fact of the, of the account of Jonah. He's not saying that it was a story. He says this is, this is a truth, you see. I'm very, very concerned about people who take the Scripture and, and turn it into something, you know, like a fairy tale or a story. I, I heard of someone who was talking about the book of Genesis and they called it a poem. That is scary to me because it is, this is God's Word. This is God's Word from beginning to end. These aren't fables. These aren't stories. These are accounts of what actually happened you can study the 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 whole thing about you know the inspiration of the word of God and and of the you know the inerrancy of the word of God and you'll find and you'll see that's the first thing but the second thing I want to say about what he what Jesus just said here is that the sign that he said he would give to them is what the cross and the resurrection. He, he pointed to the, to the account of Jonah because Jonah was you know, three days and three nights in the fish. And, and you can go back and read the, the account of Jonah. It was, it's very short. It's only four chapters. You can read it. But Jesus said this is what the account is going to be. Going to be the cross and the resurrection. Jesus himself is the sign. What more do we need? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, a verse we've talked about many times, he says, Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of the cross and the resurrection, that's, that's the sign that we need. We don't need to see somebody raised from the dead, though if God wants to do that, He can do that. But He has, ri- you know, he has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead. And that's the, the only one who has risen from the dead who would never die again, right? Uh, you know, I might die and and, 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 be, you know, and and someone would pray for me and I might rise from the dead, but guess what? I'm going to die again. But Jesus Christ himself is God's sign. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the grave, never to die again, defeating death, paying the price for our sins. How much more do we need when people say, well, I just need this, and God, I need you to do that, and if you would only do this for me, then I will believe. If you only do that for me, and, and his answer is the same as what he gave to these Pharisees here, this is the sign that I will give you. Jesus Christ, the cross, and the resurrection. Look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh, this is where Jonah went and preached. It says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Jonah went to this place called Nineveh and and he preached you know, a, ju- a message of judgment that, that you know, their time was for judgment was there for them. And it, and it said, you read it, this huge turning to God in this place. Some think it was the, the greatest uh, awakening or turning to God in all of history. This, this story, this account of Jonah in, in the city of Nineveh. But the people, these, these small group of Pharisees that were now standing in front of Jesus, what kind of response had they given to him? Their hearts were just hard. They would not believe. They would not accept. They would not turn. And he says, now one greater than Jonah was there. When you read about the story of Jonah, it's kind of interesting because Jonah, he did not want to do what God called him to do, right? Right? He didn't want to go. God said, "Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it." And he said, "No, I won't go." Why? Because he hated the people of Nineveh. They were not Jewish people. He hated, uh, you know, the people, uh, or they, they weren't from his, you know, family line or whatever. And and he hated them, so he wouldn't go. That's why Jesus says someone greater than Jonah was there. Jesus came and he preached life, and he preached it willingly. Jonah was kind of forced into it, but Jesus came, God himself came down. How much more do we want? How much more do we need? Look at verse 42. It says, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. You can read about the Queen of Sheba, she's also known as, in 1 Kings chapter 10. says that she would rise at the judgment with this generation condemned. Why? Because of her action. You see, she had heard about this man Solomon, who was a son of David, right? A son of David. She'd heard about him. And she said, I need to go and listen. I need to go and hear. So she put out the effort. She took the action. She went and she listened to Solomon's wisdom. What did these who were standing in front of Jesus do? They would refuse to listen. Their hearts were hard. And he said, now one is greater than Solomon is here. Solomon, a son of David. Jesus, the son of David. I'm sorry, folks, if maybe you would like to see some crazy, miraculous things happen here. If, if, if that's what you're looking for, to, to kind of turn the tide in your mind, I don't know what to tell you. But I can tell you that Jesus has come to the earth. God himself came down. Emmanuel, God with us. He gave his life. He, he loved people. He gave his life willingly he was crucified for my sins, for your sins, the sins of the whole world. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. That's what God has given to us. It, it, Paul said, You know, I'd rather preach a uh, priest. Uh, I'm having trouble here. Preach Christ and him crucified and, and, and forget all the rest of the stuff. You and I humble ourselves before the cross before the empty tomb. There was a man called Frank Morrison who was a lawyer, and he decided he was going to look into this story about Jesus, His death, and His resurrection, and he studied it for, I, I believe it was like seven years, he studied it. But at the end of this period, he realized that, there was, that, th- that this was the truth, and that as he studied the evidence that Jesus Christ was in fact who he said he was and the evidence was was powerful that that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and there was nothing else he could do but give his life and surrender to Jesus Christ. You can read that book. It's called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. Another book that you perhaps have heard the title of is called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell just full of evidence, the evidence. So what do we do with the evidence? You and I are called upon to make a decision, evidence that does demand a verdict, that you and I make a choice. These ones who were standing here in front of Jesus, their hearts were hard. They said, we want you to perform for us. We want you to do what we want you to do. And Jesus said, this is what I've came to do, to give my life as a ransom for many. The second part of this passage that I want to look at today is is uh, found in, in verses 43 through 45, and <clears throat> really about filling the empty house. Look at verse 43. It says, when an, it, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. It's kind of interesting. I, I was looking at this, how this... Passage comes right on the the heels of what he's talking about here and how does it fit in? Is it it going back to the previous section concerning this demon-possessed man? Or is it an illustration of the spiritual vacuum of the people of Israel? If you look at the end of verse 45, he says "That's that's how it will be with this wicked generation which he had been talking about in this passage we just looked at. I believe it, it applies to both, that there was something going on with the people right there and that generation, but I think there's also some, some lessons for us to learn about, about what we're filled with and what our lives and our hearts are filled with. Verse 44, he says this, then it says, this evil spirit who has been forced out of a man, Says he, he says this, or it says this, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Delivered by the power of God, we saw in the previous passage, you know, the strong man, Jesus binding so that the person could be set free. The strong man being bound by the stronger one, I should say. But there was a vacuum there that, that when the evil spirit was driven out, there was a vacuum there. The house was cleaned out. We saw some pictures here of a house that, that needed to be cleaned out and it could have been left empty. The house is cleaned out. The house is unoccupied. But what matters is, is filling the empty house as Jesus is talking about here. He's standing again in front of these people. And he's saying, Listen, what matters is, is what goes into the house. What you fill the empty house with. Look at verse 45. It says, then it goes and it takes with it seven other spirits. More wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. It's a good thing to get delivered. It's a good thing to clean the house, isn't it? I was speaking to my mother on the phone and she was watching a program about hoarders. Any of you hoarders? Some of you. You just fill up that house with all kinds of junk, don't you? And then someone comes along and says, We want to help you out. We realize you have a problem. So we're going to show up with our pickup trucks and we're going to help you get all that junk out of there. And you reluctantly, it's like, you know, okay, 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 but you're holding on. And you get all that stuff cleared out of there and it's just incredible. But you just can't live with a house completely empty, right? So what's the temptation for a person like that? Just start collecting that cardboard. Those old bottles and cups and cans. Rolls of string, old nuts and bolts that are bent, stuff that will never, ever be good for anyone. And the temptation is to start bringing that stuff back into the house. Jesus is saying, listen, when you clean out a house, you need to fill the house with something good and right and clean and pure and Holy. So many times we do that, we're going to clean out the evil and we're going to, you know, we hear God's word and we say, I got to do something, I'm going to clean it out, I'm going to get it out of there. And we do it and we make a step, but then we don't take the next step of filling it with something pure and clean and good. We don't make a change in our lives of how we're living. We maybe stop doing this one action, but we don't fill it with something that's positive. And that's good and spiritual or, or, or just a good thing that we could do to fill its place. And so when there's this vacuum and you haven't filled it with something good, guess what the tendency is? To start doing that same thing over again. If you don't replace it with something good, the old, the bad, the ugly wants to come back in. That's true for every one of us, you know. Don't leave the house Empty. Don't just clean the house. One commentator said this, evil is always looking for the opportunity to make a counterattack and to regain the ground that's lost. We can make steps, and we need to make steps. We need to get rid of the idols. We need to get rid of the the wickedness that is part of our lives, but, but we need to fill it with something good and right and pure. Otherwise, we'll end up worse than before. Another person said these words, the warning for individuals is that reformation is not enough. One must not only cast off bad habits, but allow his heart to be filled with Jesus Christ and his life with worthwhile activity. Otherwise, he will find himself a victim to worse habits than before. He says no heart can long stay empty. You can't just leave it empty. You've got to fill it with something good. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about, you know, those that, it says they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, and he gives them over to depravity. It says they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Filled up with all this ugly, wicked stuff. Why? Because they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They weren't filled with the knowledge of God. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to to debauchery. Instead, be filled what? With the Spirit of God. You see, we we try to fill the emptiness, and we all go through these periods of, of, of time, and I do as well, where you just kind of feel empty. Do you know what I mean? Do you ever feel empty? Maybe you've been a believer and a Christian for a long time. You still can go through those periods where it's dry and you you feel empty. And the temptation is to to look for little things, look for other things that you can fill yourself with to, to try to fill that emptiness, but it does not satisfy. I can guarantee you. and it only leads to other things as paul said to debauchery to to worse wickedness he says instead be filled with the spirit of god you and i need to to fall on our faces before god and say god i i need you to fill me i need you to fill me you know you see it in the scripture where where in in the book of acts where they were filled repeatedly it wasn't a one time thing done over they you know there were there were there were things where it happened repeatedly. I want to be filled with God. I want to be filled with His Word. I want to be filled with His Spirit. Does that take some of the things we saw in the first section? The Queen of Sheba, she had to put out action, effort. Her heart needed to go for it. And maybe even the stubbornness of our flesh could be talked about in terms of a person like Jonah where he kind of had to force the flesh to do what God wanted it to do what God wanted Him to do. Jesus told us that. The Spirit is willing, right? But the flesh is weak. Acts chapter 13 says that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. One last scripture I'll read to you in 1 Peter chapter 1. says this, Though you have not seen Him... You love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You haven't seen Him. You don't see Him now, but by faith you trust in Him. He says, you'll be filled. You will believe and be filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy it's not about seeking after signs but it's looking to the cross the sign Jesus Christ him crucified the empty tomb where he was risen being filled with the Holy Spirit being filled with God Otherwise, we give the enemy some kind of place, give him a little bit of room. We don't want to give him any room whatsoever in our lives. We want to fill. We want to be so filled with God that there's no room for garbage, you see. Can I do that for you? No. We can only do it for ourselves. And when we're alone with God, when we're alone, we're by ourselves, I challenge you and I ask you, as myself as well, to to surrender and submit and fall before God and humble ourselves before Him and say, God, fill me with You. Fill this house with You. Do you do it just once? No. Every day in our lives as we continue to go on, God, fill me with You. I want to be a vessel for You, for Your Holy Spirit. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just come before you with our simple hearts, maybe sinful flesh, and maybe we've been in that place where we just want to demand things from you, and, but you have given the sign, the cross, and the empty tomb, and the evidence is there. So we come and we humble ourselves before you. Some of us have been delivered from the power of the enemy. Some of us have been delivered from the habits and the wickedness of the world. All of us have, really. We know that. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with you, with yourself. That we wouldn't go trying to fill the empty voids and places in our lives with the things of this world, the things of the flesh. But be filled with the Spirit, as Paul said. Continuously filled with the Spirit. We need you, God. We desire you more than anything else. Help us to fight that fight against our own flesh, against this world who thinks so differently from what your word teaches, that we might truly live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?